Welcome to the Clips and Dubcast. It is Monday, January 29th. Wow, what a recruiting weekend for Clemson. Dabo and the Tigers still in possession of that fastball, seems like. And so is Paul Strilo, for that matter. He's been killing it with coverage of all these recruiting developments, as always. TigerIllustrated.com is the place to be for recruiting junkies. So much to write about, so much to read about. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solution, You can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, to the always entertaining Billy Davis, former Clemson Tiger, former NFL player, former Secret Service man. This guy is an endless trove of great stories. Here we go. Enjoy. All right, joined by once again by Billy Davis, who is apparently in a hotel room in Lexington, Kentucky. How you doing, sir? Great, sir. I'm glad to be part of your show again. It's been a while. I think you mentioned the last time we talked on your show, I was in Lexington. That was a, <laughs> probably maybe a year or two ago. So it seems like I do most of my remote broadcast from the Bluegrass State. You know, uh, somebody like i don't know this might be the fifth time you've been on but people the casual listener or subscriber to tiger illustrated should not be expected to to remember that and so um i forgot what conversation what thread it was in on the message board but somebody said man this billy davis guy is great larry have you ever thought about having him on a podcast and so i figure if it's been long enough where at least one person doesn't remember then it's an opportune time uh, to have you back on. Sure, man. Yeah, it, it, I think it was a thread about um, the kid from Maury High School in Virginia <laughs> and that he yeah. committed to us, the defensive end, and I told a story about going to Maury High School back with the vice president. It, it was a remarkable story. I, I won't rehash it, but oh, it's no. just how small of a world it is. Oh, no, know? I'm going to get you to rehash it. We're going to get to that. Okay. But, uh, 
the most important thing is you got to give us an update on Sophie, your daughter, who we could probably spend the next 20 minutes on all of the accolades she has racked up. And so why don't you just brief everybody on, uh, on, on her career at Kentucky and um, just such an impressive, not just athlete, uh, but person that she, she has show, become and, and shown uh, at, at UK and distinguishing herself in many ways. Yeah, thanks, Larry. I appreciate you saying that. You know, your kids are, it's totally different than whatever you accomplish. And, and, and she's just been, she's just a wonderful human being. Um, and it's, it's mostly not because of she's an athlete, because uh, the, the fact of the matter here at the University of Kentucky on the swim team, she's middle of the road at best. She's not a star. She's not an All-American swimmer. She's not even an, an, an All-SEC uh, performer athletically. She is academically. Um, and she's a perfect 4.0 student. She's going to graduate summa cum laude. Um, and she's working with the athletic department at the University of Kentucky uh, as an intern in sports information and social media. So she's basically been with a football team for the last couple of years working with those guys. And then she's worked the last two years with the SEC network, ESPN SEC network down on the sidelines, shadowing the uh, sideline reporter, people like Andrea Carter. Mm -hmm. um, some people may know her. Um, and then she was, uh, she's been nominated for and received the um, uh, Frank G. Ham Society of Character Award here at Kentucky, wow. which only goes to about six or seven student athletes a year. And it's a combination of athletics, academics, uh service to the community and leadership it's a combination and so she's going to have that award presented to her at halftime of the old miss kentucky basketball game at rupp arena so Whoa. yeah we're very proud of her you know we i'd love to her for her selfishly for her to accomplish more athletically um but sometimes when you it's just like when i was at clemson i thought i was going to accomplish a lot more than i did individually at clemson and she certainly has outshined me uh, as a student athlete at uh, at the University of Kentucky. So yeah, it's it's really exciting for us. And and she's going to move on. And I think she's going to work for the Big Blue Nation Network um, this summer here in Kentucky. And then we'll see where that takes her. But, what? Did, uh, what yeah, is, thanks for asking. I know it means a lot to you because you have daughters, and and they're very they're academically and athletically uh, acclimated or you know, in, in that vein and that you have all that to look forward to as they decide on where they're going to go to college and, and compete at the, at the next level. It's such a hard decision, I guess, as you're trying to figure out where to go to school, you know, whether, you know, I mean, you know, she could, Sophie could have gone obviously somewhere smaller and been the best on the team. Yes. Dominated. Yes. Um, yes. She chose to go to that, to Kentucky where, just the mix of everything is so complicated and you know my oldest is a junior and you know she's getting recruited you know wake forest has been talking to her for a while william and mary i'm sorry not william and mary i'm sorry washington and lee but it's right. like she's sort of confronting that on the front end right now of okay i want to go somewhere i don't want to go to somewhere where i'm the best i want to go somewhere where i'm challenged where there are better runners than I am, but I also right. want to go somewhere where I'm actually participating. Right. So 
Correct. And and then you you add in all the academics, and so it's like uh, I'm at the point. Well, I mean, I guess I've always been at the point of, hey, man, you know all the dynamics of this a lot better than I do, and so you're going to have to be the one to make the decision. And so it's just interesting to hear, um, you know, that sort of her, uh, Sophie's story of, 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 I'm sure it was a stressful decision. And can you just take us back to what all elements played into it when she was figuring out where to go? Yeah. I mean, she was probably like your daughters. I mean, she was an all American in high school, which means you're one of the top 100 swimmers in your stroke in the country in high school. And there's approximately 75,000 young ladies that swim, uh, high school swimming in the United States. So that's an elite group of people. But she was recruited by all the Ivy League schools. She was recruited by all the academies. She was recruited. She was only not recruited by like a handful of schools like Stanford, Texas. I mean, the, the elite top five programs in the country. And they, they pick and choose. It's kind of like, okay, you're recruited by, in football, you're recruited by North Carolina, NC State, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, but, you know, Alabama and Georgia aren't recruiting you. It's there's no it's no slap. They they yeah. you know usually get the pick of the litter. So anyway, she was not interested. She went to an all girls private school in Northern Virginia, and um, even though she just wanted to compete at the highest levels of of athletics, she just came out here to Kentucky and fell in love with it. And I we really did not get involved. And I we've discussed this too. It's not like when I got recruited to play football at Clemson, where you know we had one phone on the wall in the house. And every coach that called had to call 703-780-6048. And usually my mom or dad would answer the phone and they would screen the phone call. Say it was coach Williams from the university of Miami. And I'm in the, I'm sitting there in the kitchen and, and I look at my mom and I'm like, I'm not here. I don't want to talk to him. You know, and she, she'd screen the phone call and move on. Well, now these kids, these, these kids, they, they have total contact. You're not even involved in it. You know, they, they have, um, you know, emails, text messages, and these, these coaches go right to the student athlete and the parents are basically cut out, cut out of the whole process unless you insert yourself. It's very difficult to insert yourself in your children's life when they're 16, 17, 18 years old, because you want them to grow as a human being and as a student athlete, which they're going to face when they go off to college. But in the meantime, you know, I, I talked to Sophie and I go, Hey, who'd you talk to last night? And she'd go, well, I talked to Florida and LSU. And I go, well, what did they say? And she would say, well, the same old thing. I'm like, well, what does that mean? The same old thing, you know? So I think a lot of parents have run into that, that you just, it, it's a problem um, and you're going to see it. And so you have to trust that they make the right decision. Kentucky really recruited her hard all over her summer between her sophomore and junior year. And lo and behold, she committed to the University of Kentucky three weeks into her junior year of high school. And so we didn't have to worry about going through any of that process. It was it was a done deal, signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, and we that was her decision. It wasn't ours. Um, totally 110% her decision. And that's when things sometimes don't go their way or what you expect. They you know can't turn around and go, well, you wanted me to go here. You forced me to go here. So I think you'll run into that. So she wants to, she definitely wants to go into broadcasting, television broadcasting. She's yeah. She's a broadcast journalism major and she, they have a great program here at, at the university of Kentucky. So she's done everything from, 
<clears throat> for the University of Kentucky uh, the media department, they have their own University of Kentucky news channel. So she's not only been behind the desk as an anchor, she's been out on, in Lexington itself reporting. She has produced, she's directed, she's been behind the camera, she's done all that stuff. And then she's done, I've sent you the video she's done with the football team and she's interviewed, you know, last, I guess the American Idol winner from last year is a university and that is from Kentucky. And he sang the national anthem at the Tennessee Kentucky game back in October. And she did a five questions in 50 yards with the American idol winner. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where she's going. So hopefully if there's anybody out there that is listening to this podcast that wants a really sharp kid, who's, you know, really pretty that um, wants to work you know, she's she's looking into working for the SEC ESPN network as a paid intern in Charlotte, too. She's applying for that. So if I have any hooks out there that can help me with that, if you're listening, uh, Larry will give you uh, my number. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's what she wants to do. We'll see how it goes. Um, I never, you know, some people are like, she's never going to do that. I said, well, you, you have no idea what anybody's going to do. It's amazing how people want to rain on your parade sometimes when you let these kids chase their dreams and if it doesn't work out or she finds another avenue to do, that's what she's going to do. But right now that's, that's what she's, and I try to encourage her to stay involved in the athletics side of the house, even working, you know, at the university of Kentucky's in the athletic department, which you can't go wrong there. When uh, Mr. Barnhart, Mitch Barnhart's the AD. I mean, last year he was voted the most powerful man in the sec, even more powerful than uh, mm. Nick Saban because he's the longest tenured athletic director in the Southeastern conference. So good man. And he has a lot of connections. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. You have an interesting perspective, obviously Clemson man, um, probably over the years or the long term, you've, you know, sort of scoffed at the SEC's just sort of self-importance, I guess, lack of a better term, but you've spent several years sort of with a closer look at that whole thing. And just in some of your, our conversations over the years, it it sounds like you have a, a perspective of, not that you're Mr. SEC or anything, I'm not saying that, but you're like, yeah, it kind of, in, in a lot of respects, it does I hate to say this, mean more. <laughs> well, they've done just done an excellent job of marketing. I yeah. don't think anybody can disagree with that. And I know we've had that conversation. They they just do an excellent job of marketing and they've been able to over the years. And I just, and let's face it too, a lot of the schools in the Southeastern Conference are very much like Clemson. They have a chip on their shoulder, whether it's the University of Kentucky or Auburn or Alabama or Mississippi State or Ole Miss they're sometimes they you know just like the people in the ACC look down their noses at Clemson you know we're the Cal College that's the way we were back then it's a little different now but when I was in school you know we were just looked down as the as as the country cousins that wore orange overalls and and drove tractors around you know I mean North even go down the list of schools North Carolina Wake Forest UVA um Duke they would look down their nose at us and I think I think the SEC uses sports as their way of a lot of pride. And, and you see it in all the school, all the sports here at the University of Kentucky. 
it's very much like Clemson. They take a lot of pride and they put a lot of money into it. And, and you can see the emphasis where I go to some of the other schools in different conferences. And it's just not that way. And it, that's just me seeing it as a 62 year old dude that's been around the block twice and, and seen it all. And I can see what they talk about when it sometimes it just means, I mean, sometimes they they're over the top with it, but I think it does. A lot of it has to do with marketing and just being down South and the pride folks take into it, just like they do at Clemson. You know, I mean, they take a lot of pride in their sports and, and if your sports programs are good, we've had this discussion many times, Larry, then your, your academic side of the house is going to be bolstered just like at Clemson where, you know, last year they had 66,000 applications for, for the yeah. freshman class. I mean, it's incredible. But yeah, to your point, they've done an excellent job uh, of marketing here at the University of Kentucky, um, wherever you go. I mean, they treat all the athletes like thoroughbred racehorses and mm. they don't want for anything. I don't care if the swim and dive team, the football team, the basketball team, uh, the baseball team, the, all the facilities these are first class and all the support systems they have for the student athletes are first class. Like here at Kentucky, they had actually the first student athlete um, support system building standalone building in the country it was built back here in like the seventies way before anybody else had it. So um, yeah, they do a really good job. So, I mean, I'm a Clemson guy first and foremost and, uh, but I, you know, I'll, I'll give a person, uh, you know, a conference it's due when it comes to things of that nature. And they, they do do a, a great job of athletic support and uh, making it a priority. So but that's all I can say about that. It's a good question. You mentioned a few minutes ago the different nature of recruiting and parents aren't as involved and then coaches go straight to the prospect. You know, it's interesting looking at, Dabo's formula for recruiting as evidence just today, actually, just the last few days. Yep. As, as you see, they have their big recruiting weekend and some big commitments. And you see how often Paul Strilo is, um, in his reporting, is talking about how the parents were involved and how impressed they were with this or that. And um, not that Dabo's way is old-fashioned or anything, but it's still interesting to me, at least, that here in 2024, and I think it will endure, you're always going to have the situation of a family that, yeah, they still want (laughs) their son um, to get a good ed- to get an education to get a degree they still are they're thinking about life beyond football and so um it seems like as much as things have changed and will continue to change over the last few years and over the upcoming few years it, it it's hard for me to believe that that the idea of um parents still getting some resonance from the more holistic parts of a, a, a college experience, a college choice of a recruit, that's still going to have some uh, capital, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word. You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It's just like when Soph took her visit here to Kentucky, I mean, my wife and I were on campus, and my wife was on campus for about an hour. 
while she was at practice and she walked around. So this is place is great. I could go here in a minute. And you, so yeah, you actually have to have buy in from the parents. That's for sure. I think swim and dive or cross country track and field is a little bit different flavor to it than say football because of the money involved and NIL and all these other things that you have to deal with now. And I, it's been written by some of your posters on TI, which I totally agree with. I think, I think coach Sweeney was put behind the eight ball with COVID and you know, the, you weren't allowed to visit on campus and and a lot of those things that transpired in those 12 to 24 months really put the Clemson program behind the eight ball, because that is the value of Clemson football. Like you said, the holistic approach and showing, bringing mom and dad and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles on campus and showing them how, you know, and Dabo gives the two hour to two hour and a half speech on his life story. And uh, what you know is is not even a made-for-TV movie. It's it could be in in the cinemas. And once people hear that and they hear his passion and how he cares for the kids and how he will ensure that he's going to take care of their sons, it resonates with a lot of people. And some people it doesn't resonate with people. Some people it's all about now. It's all about the money. How much are you going to give? And we see it all the time. But there's a kind of kid that is attracted to the Clemson program. That's always been that way since Dabo has been there. And um, I think it always will be that way as long as he's there. And if you can just get that core kid in there and keep him for those three, four, five years, be red shirts and, 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 you know, keep that whole thing rolling. I think they might come out of this whole COVID-19 sixth year, super senior, seventh year, triple super senior thing and get back to where they were. But yeah, I mean, this weekend, you guys kept me up to date on what was happening, you know, for this elite junior weekend. And it seems like they've done a really good job. You know, and he's gone out and hired, you know, Garrett Riley. He's gone out and hired Matt Luke. He's gone out and, you know, brought Chris Rumpfack. You know, Nick Eason's there. So there's a lot of guys with a lot of experience. And that's going to appeal to a lot of kids. And kids want to, you know, kids want to go and I think they sell the point. You got to be developed get a lot of raw material but you want to go there and be developed over three or four or five years and you know and now now a guy the guy that stressed the the process he's retired the guy down in tuscaloosa mm-hmm. the guy that now now the guy now the guy that beat that guy twice in a national championship game is still coaching and he has a process and he's selling his process so that's the beauty of that one of the things I admire and respect about you is while you are unquestionably a Dabo guy, you you were one of the few on that island back <laughs> back in two thousand. Yeah, sure. Maybe maybe by yourself on that island in two thousand ten when uh when when things were sour and uh most the vast majority of people had major questions about whether he was just even capable of leading a program, you know, a successful program, mm-hmm. let alone um, multiple national championships, you know, six straight playoff, whatever. Uh, but, yeah. No, but with no, all no the, one could have predicted that. Yeah, right, right. You know. But you, you, you know, you were you were firmly in his camp then. But on the other hand, you're not such a fanboy. You're not such a Dabo fanboy that you're beyond. Um, that you're blind uh, in, from your own perspective of 
you know, voicing some misgivings and Hey, I mean, this, this past season, you know, even on the message board, you know, you had some, you know, some, some questions maybe, and some criticisms. Sure. So with all that said, yeah, with all that said, what, what do you, what have you learned about Dabo over the last, I don't know, two months? Um, Because I guess we'll start with early November when there was lots of turmoil Lots of questions from both you and I. Um, lots of skepticism, and he behind the scenes um, made a pretty definitive turn toward basically y'all got twenty four days to prove that you're yeah. you uh, deserve your jobs essentially, and not just for the not just for the coaches either, but for players as well. And then that extends to the decisions to uh, part ways with um, Lemansky Hall, Thomas Austin, which cannot be, that decision certainly cannot be taken lightly. Dabo was sitting on Thomas Austin's shoulders. Uh, right. The 2008, 2008. South Carolina game yep. that basically got Dabo the job for good. Yep. I so had any, that picture in my house. Somewhere. Yep. Yeah, I think it was mm-hmm. – was it Austin and Grisham? Or it might have been – Yeah, it was Grisham and, and yeah. Thomas Austin, right? They're up on – he's up on his shoulders. Yeah. I've got it. He was, the, was like on the front page of the orange and white. Yep. And I've got it on a – framed in a poster somewhere in my house, yeah. So I guess my, my point true. is – what I'm getting at is you learn a lot more about people, I think, in the when – the, when the chips are down than you do when they're going 15-0 and 0. – and I'm curious what you learned about Dabo over the last couple of months. Right. Yeah. Any, anybody's, you know, we're all front runners. Everybody likes to be 15 and 0 and win championships. And, uh, if you do remember though, and I caught a lot of flack from it when they lost, did they lose to Miami first or then the NC state? Miami then NC Miami? state. Yeah. So they lose to NC state and I got on the message board on Saturday night and I said, I fully expect Clemson to play their most complete football game of the year against Notre Dame on Saturday. Yep. And I got blasted. <laughs> People, you're out of your mind. You've been drinking. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> yeah. Have another drink. You're crazy. I never answered. But then when they beat Notre Dame, I was right. Boy, this sure is tasty. I said, cause I just, I know how athletes are and I know, I know what it's, I just know. And it's just, and I know, I know what it's like to be backed into a corner and you come out fighting. And that's how Dabo's always been the underdog. He plays the underdog role. That's what he, Clemson has always been. And we all know that Clemson is better when we're the underdog. We don't do well when we're, we're running out front. That's just the nature of our university. It always has been. We've always had, we play, we, when I was at Clemson back in the dark ages, in the, in the early eighties, we were the Palmetto bad boys we always played with a chip on our shoulder because everyone looked down on us. You know, they put us on probation because we were winning too much. That's how coach Ford was. And that's how Dabo is. And so I don't know if I learned anything more about Dabo or it was just confirmed what I've believed about him since I first saw him coaching at Clemson back in the mid two thousands is that the dude, the dude is going to find a way to, uh, to overcome obstacles that's just that's just in his dna now he's not going to win all the time but like i often say i do not bet against him in the long run 
you know, and just say, I laugh when he said, if you buy Clemson stock, you better <laughs> buy it now. I mean, that's him. Yeah. Right. That, that's always, that's just been, that's been Dabo Sweeney. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just like when they played, I'll never forget when they played Alabama in 2018, you know, Trevor, when they win the national and they just pummeled them out. And as Dabo says, wherever the heck we are in California, when yep. no one gave Clemson a chance. That was people forget everyone to a man and woman said that was the best. Yep. Alabama was the best college, not just Alabama team, possibly the best college football team of all time. Yep. That's what they were saying. I walked in the gym back home and people were like, Clemson is going to get mauled. There's no way they're going to be. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you're probably right. I guess we'll see. And they just, they just blasted them. And I mean, and then the sports Illustrated's came out, you know, it said Dabo's, do you remember the one? It said uh, Dabo's dynasty with a picture of, I think it was Christian Wilkins and Justin yeah. Ross on the cover. Dabo's dynasty. I mean, it's amazing. And then, you know, the 19 goes and they, they go undefeated all the way until they ran into that buzzsaw with Joe Burrow. I mean, and then, then everything changes. Then you have COVID, you know, then you have a messed up season and then, you know, and, and then it kind of kind of takes a downward turn to point. Everybody's everybody can be in front. It's easy to win. But when you get your teeth kicked in, are you going to jump off the mat, you know, rearrange, restructure your priorities and, and get back into the fight? And I mean, it's just just like in my job in the Secret Service, we trained all the time when I was an, a counterterrorism guy. I mean, we would get attacked all the time. You know, we call it um, immediate action drills where, you know, instructors and other guys would uh, ambush our motorcade with, with um, you know, uh, RPGs, um, you know, explosive, you know, um, all kinds of explosions and fires and everything. And you, that's how you you see how the, you would react to it. You know, you, you drop your gun and give up or you have to you, you know, return the fight. That's just the way it is. And that's that's how Davos has always been. So. To your point, I didn't. I don't think I learned anything about him. I, I just think it confirmed what I had already believed about him. And you know, like you said, we were we critical. Well, yeah. I mean, when things aren't going well, it's just like I'm sure you know you can definitely criticize your wife sometimes if things aren't going right. I mean, we all we criticize, hopefully constructively criticize the people that we love and that we care about. And you know, you might want to think about doing it this way this time, or you know, you might want to look about you know, maybe getting a kid or two out of the portal, or you might want to do this or that, but in the end, he's going to do it his way. And, and it might just turn out to be, you know, in the long run, the best way, because I don't know how long this whole NIL basically just paying players is sustainable because it's, that's not exactly from my interpretation, how this thing was supposed to be set up of, if I was, you know, playing at Clemson and they had my, you know, Billy Davis number 24 and they were selling Billy Davis jerseys, well, okay, I get a cut of that, right? Whatever. Give me 5%. Or I go on for Toyota of Easley and I do a commercial for Toyota of Easley. Well, I get paid for that. Not just stroking me a check for $2 million to play quarterback. I, and that's, I think it's been totally, totally run the wrong way and it's out of control and there's no the NCAA is just like the state trooper that's just uh, sitting on the side of the road and letting everybody drive 120 mi miles an hour down I-85 
there's no law enforcement whatsoever other than maybe what Florida State got. So, yeah, I mean, I we're, th- you know, it's just crazy. Well, I mean, I, I don't even, you know, it's just crazy. And I, I called a buddy of mine at Clemson who's coach there. Well, I'm not going to give up his name, but most people probably know what I'm talking about. But I said, hey, I said, dude, what would it cost? Say Billy Davis, I was like, you know, I was the number one recruit in the state of Virginia my senior year. How much is my scholarship worth? Just scholarship or all my benefits that I receive as a student athlete at Clemson University if I was coming to Clemson this year? And so I got the I got the paper right here in front of me. It's between one hundred and sixty and one hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year. Yeah, that that's what you, a football player's total benefit package is worth. Just that's not counting anything. That's not counting NIL. That's just counting tuition, room and board, food, books, strength training, medical, dental, uh, all the things that they get. I mean, it's amazing what a student athlete gets, and that's that's what it's that's what the value is for for one year. Somebody goes, "Well, that's not much." I said, "No, that's not four years. That's one year." So then you multiply that times four or five, you're talking, you know, upwards of three quarters of a million to a million dollars of value. And people act like, well, we're not, we're getting taken advantage of. I'm like, oh my goodness. I think, and that's what Dabo espouses, right? And I think that's why Dabo got kind of a bad rap. He's like, well, wait a minute, you don't value this. But, and I understand, you know, should these student athletes make some kind of, get some kind of compensation? Yes. But I think, like, for instance, a guy like Sam Hartman, how much, how much return and investment did Notre Dame get out of Sam Hartman this year? Uh, for a while, some pretty good return, but yeah. Yep. So you, so was he really worth the money they paid him to go nine and three and play in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl? <laughs> Think that, about it. That's a good question. Now, yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, he's a good kid and everything, but you know, here's, here's Dave Colossen who brings him in as, you know, and Hartman was probably a three-star quarterback. I'd imagine. They develop him. His great career at Wake Forest, and Wake Forest is, you know, they benefit by. Oh, see you later. I'm gone. I, you know, it's like, you know, it's like marrying a girl and then, you know, taking care of her and then, she, you know, she she gets in shape and gets a hair, you know, and becomes beautiful and then she meets the the next guy down the road and just up and leaves you. Right, I'm I'm moving on to something better, and that's, and then these folks at Notre Dame are stroking these checks for these guys to go nine and three. I mean, I don't know how much they're paying Riley Leonard, but I'm sure it was, I think Hartman was making eight or $900,000, something like that to go nine and three. Well, on the other hand, I mean, on the other hand you have, and this has been going on for years and years and years, you know, when a coach, you know, when, when a, when a team doesn't win as much as expected and then a coach gets paid $15 million to, sit on his couch was that yeah. worth it you know so it's like you know it's all it's all we're, we're still talking about market value i guess loosely i i guess my point is there's no way as much as as valid as as what you talked about is about the value of a scholarship not really being enough of the conversation that we're having i've been saying that for years as valid as that is 
I, that toothpaste just is out of the tube and ain't being, it's not oh, getting no, put back. I, no, it's, it's never coming back. Yeah. It's, so, it's, ne- it's never, no, you're absolutely right. But I get, you know, I just, it's just it, values in society have changed and I, I'm 62 years old. So I'm, I'm old. I mean, I'm eligible for social security, which, you know, I mean, that that's, that's sobering enough in itself. But when I went to Clemson, I was just happy to, have air conditioning in my dorm room and three me- four meals a day. And, um, they were paying for my school. Cause I grew up, you know, you know, my story, I grew up yeah. in a 900 square foot house without air conditioning. And for three of those years, I slept in the dining room cause we had six other people in the house. And I, you know, my dad worked in a grocery store and was a mailman. We didn't have a whole lot. I had a lot of love in the house, but so I went to Clemson. I was like, man, they're actually going to, they're actually giving me an education and I get to play in death Valley on TV occasionally, you know, back then you may be on three or four times a year at most, um, you know, the value system. And I see, I guess, and I see what other student athletes like our daughter who practices twice a day, who and in between lifts weights, who goes to class, who has a four O and they swim against Louisville this weekend. And it was a big man. Louisville's a big rival, right? Them Tennessee. They may, we maybe had, I don't know, 400 people at the meet. They had the pep band there and everything at the University of Louisville. But they do it for no other reason than for their love of the sport and for, you know, well, swimming is really not a team sport. It's kind of like what your daughters do. I mean, it's team sport, but it's really not. It's all about your individual time. And uh, they like to paint it to be a team. But most of it is is very individual as opposed to football. Um, But anyway, it's just... I understand it though. I mean, like you said, the the toothpaste is out of the tube. It ain't coming back. It's just that there needs, there has to be some kind of rules and regulations because I mean, I tell people, look, I I was in, I was in three NFL training camps in two years. I was cut three different times by two teams. Then I got to Denver as an undrafted free agent. And I got, I, I, you know, I went there at minicamp and I was running, it was all the rookies. So there was like three other free safeties there. So I, you get to training camp, there's like six dudes in front of me in training camp. And I'm like, unless there's a, like a, a, a nuclear disaster or something, I'm not beating all these guys out. It's, it's almost physically impossible to do. You just look at it and go, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And I could, you know, okay, I'm leaving. I'm going to hit the transfer portal. And I'm going to go to Buffalo. You can't do that in the NFL. You got to get cut. And then you have to hope somebody picks you up. You just can't go into the transfer portal and decide, I don't like being here with the Giants. I don't like it. I'm going to go in the transfer portal, and maybe the Rams will pick me up. It's crazy. Well, that's, so, yeah. You know? That's just it. I mean, that's it's kind of crazy to say that the solution, and it can't get here fast enough, I think most people agree, <laughs> is actual revenue sharing, pay-for-play, just because it's a two-way contract. That's that's what people to be. There's a guy I can't remember another poster on Tiger Illustrated. It's not he's not the only one, but I mean, just do a three year contract. Yeah, Billy Davis has signed a three year contract with Clemson University. You're locked in for three years. That if and your fourth year is your option. If you want to go and hit the transfer portal after your after three after your junior year, you're more than welcome to do that. You can become a free agent, or you can you know take your option year and stay at Clemson. But there's got to be, there, that has to be, there's, 
just to make it just like the NFL, because that's what I call it now. It's it's NFL intercollegiate. That's that's the name. That's what it is now. I mean, if you're getting paid, and let's face it too, if you ain't cutting the mustard, let's do it this way too. It's two way street, right? I signed with Clemson, and I ain't I ain't making the top two, and I'm third or fourth string, and and I'm not cutting the mustard. Then you know what? I got the ability uh, put you on waivers. You know, if you, it's just, if you want to, if you want to be a pro and you want to, you want to have all that, all that, just like it is, you know, professionally, just like I was with Denver and St. Louis and they bring you in and go, Hey, look, appreciate everything you've done. Appreciate your effort, but we don't have any room for you. See you later. But that's, you know, you can't have it all. And then not, you can't have all of those benefits and all the contract and everything and think you're just going to show up and not perform. Right. It should be a, if you want to be a performance based and, and play in that, that like, do you want to be an NFL guy? You want to be a pro? Well, this is how the pros work. It's not you, you sign a contract and you can just sit there. Like we used to have guys at Clemson that, like Coach Ford said, all he's doing is eating our food right now. He's not doing anything. <laughs> he's just eating. You can't do that. You either perform or you're done. Right. Or if you're not getting the grades you need to get, you know, there should be stipulations right in the contract. And then and it's like, boom. Hey, they bring you in and go, Hey, Larry, appreciate what you've done. Appreciate your devotion. But, uh, you know, we're going to have to ask you to leave. You know, is that, is that what they, cause that's, that's what it's going to have to be. You can't, you can't have all that and then underperform. So I think it was Kirby. Pro, that's how the pros work. Yeah. I think it was Kirby smart who suggested a few weeks ago. I think I'm getting the gist of this. You could either do a three year, you know, which is uh-huh. two way, you know, you, you're, it's good for three years, but you have to stay there for three years. Right. right. Um, or you do, a, you sign up for one year and you can either leave after one year, but the school, the, the school has the option of cutting you too after one year. So it's a two way thing, okay. which I can get well, behind yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, I do too. Well, that's that's kind of like what I was saying. Is you said it better, and Kirby said it better than me. That's why he's the head football coach at the University of Georgia. But that would be I would be totally in for that because everybody wants to be a pro. Everybody wants to get paid and make the money and drive the nice cars. But being a pro is, is totally different than than high school and college. It's a totally different world, and I lived in that world. And it's it's not you hang on every time you go to like when I was at Clemson, I knew that I was going to be playing on Saturday. I mean, I'd be playing a lot the first couple of years, but I was going to be playing. When you go to training camp and mini camp in the NFL, you don't know if you're going to be there by the afternoon. They bring you in and go, hey, you're done. Hey, you need to see, I'll go see Coach Reeves. Bring your playbook. And they go, hey, appreciate you coming, but hope to see you again on another sideline. But can we have your playbook? And your, here's, your, here's your plane ticket home. You know, that's what they want to be. Um, then I think it's, it's gotta be that way. And it's, it's heading down that road. And, and you know, like I said, you said toothpaste out of the tubes, cats out of the bag, but yeah, that's, that's the way it's, uh, it's going to have to be for football and, uh, and, and college basketball as well. I'm seeing these guys, you know, what is that one kid at Miami? He's like on his ninth year. <laughs> What's going on with that? I mean, I think it was in the Secret Service by the time I had nine <laughs> years from Clemson. Jeez. I mean, dude, just time to move on. Go get you a job. 
you know, if you, if you've been playing nine years in college and you're not playing in the NFL or the CFL yet, I think the writing's on the wall. Do you remember, I think it was in the nineties, maybe eighties and nineties when Clemson basketball during the time they were really good. I forget exactly when, but they would always for games at little John on TV, they would show the fans right behind the basket, which, or I guess maybe, yeah, they were behind the basket. Uh, even in yeah. the old old situation because they had the little bleachers for the students. Yeah. But it was the same dude. I mean, I'm talking for like years and years and years. He was the same student would be, be in the camera. And I think I remember hearing that that dude, he was at Clemson for seven years, I believe. And that seemed like a really yeah. long time. Um, crazy. Uh, I do want to get back to the Dabo question. What did we learn? All that. What I, I guess what I'm getting at is if we take ourselves back to the moment, you know, in the aftermath of the loss at NC State and what we were saying, what what a lot of people were saying, I think it centered on, so with Dabo, there's that push and pull between cutthroat competitor, right? And yep. set in his ways and, I, you know, maybe stubborn, not too strong of a word, just really strongly believes in his way. And his way has included, as we know, you know, hiring, you know, making unconventional hires, you know, hiring within the program, that whole thing. I, I, I do think that one of the questions or criticisms, I guess, more question back then was, is he going to go, is he such a cutthroat competitor that he's going to be able to make the tough decisions? Or is he so set in his ways where he won't be able to, have enough uh, foresight or wisdom to make the tough decisions. That pretty much encapsulates what we were talking about back then, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess time has proven that, yeah, he, he'll make the tough decision to, to you know, let Thomas Austin go and hire Matt Luke. I mean, right. that's, that's, yeah. Um, but it's time when you're, you know, because the expectations, but, you know, what did I tell you back in the spring I, I, I texted you and I said, mark it down, ambush in Durham. Yep. Duke will beat Clemson. And you're like, you were like, pissed. I go, I'm serious, <laughs> dude. I said, they got a good quarterback. It's just a recipe for disaster. And sure enough, I mean, I could just, I could just see it happening because I've lived that life. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking, you're right in Clemson and you're around the program every day. So you're immersed in it where I am living in Northern Virginia and my only really contact other than occasionally texting coach Sweeney or coach McCorvey down there is what you and Paul and Chris produce on tiger illustrated. But I can also see it from watching ball games and stuff. And so, uh, with, with Dabo, you know, after that NC state loss, I mean, everybody was like, what in the world, what's going on? You know, that's when they were talking about them possibly playing, you know, for, for making the college football playoff, but I don't think they took into account. I thought, I think everyone thought Cade would probably be a little bit better this year than he was, but they, you know, didn't take into account. He really didn't play at all as a freshman. And then, you know, he's thrust into that starting role as a sophomore. Um, but in Davo's case, as far as what you originally mentioned, yeah, the, the problem is he's been so successful that sometimes you're, when you're that successful, you can, you're not going to be able to 
self-evaluate as um, as easily as if you were kind of a middle of the road guy and, and take criticism and, and try to build on that. So, I mean, the proof's in when all you have to go is the Reeve Center and see the trophies and, and all the accolades. And so that makes it difficult. You know, with, even with Coach Saban, as everyone knows, I think if you see why he retired, a lot of it has to do with the state of college football the way it is right now. And he always had a process, and now that process is basically – it's kind of hard to get people to stay. So I think – and, you know, that's what I was worried about Coach Sweeney, but I think Coach Sweeney is just just enough a competitor and just just a hard-nosed dude that he's going to – he's, he's going to prove people wrong just like he did after the 2010 season. I think that's just – that's just how he's wired. Um, and that's with a lot of great competitors. I mean, I had people tell me, you know, well, you'll never play baseball at Clemson. Um, and I, I walked onto the program after not playing baseball for three years and first game of the year, I was starting at left field. And I, sometimes I look back and I, I think a lot of what I did was just to prove people wrong, just to show them, Oh, I'll show you, you know, even, that's just what, whether it's football coaches or whatever, so you don't, there's no way you, you're not that you can't. And I got, and I think, so I understand how Dabo's wired in that way. I tell people all the time, you'll never be in the secret service. You're too stupid to be in the secret I actually, people at Clemson tell me, you're too stupid to be in the secret service. Really? Really? Okay. I'll show you. And, she, you know, rose, rose to the highest levels of the organization. And I, I, to this day, I, I do things. It, I just go out to do things to prove people that I can do it. And it's the challenge part of it. And I think that's what motivates Dabo. He's told, he's been told his whole life and he's been given a, a you know, I relate to Dabo a lot. His dad was a, a, a raging alcoholic. My mom, raging alcoholic. I mean, just never knew from day to day how she's going to be when we came home from school, if she was going to be sober, if, if she was going to go uh, throw things, if she, who never knew. And so I kind of grew up in that same kind of environment. And, um, that what's, that's how I can relate to when you grew up in that environment in that kind of household. And my mom was great, a very loving parent, just like his dad was. But when you grow up in that kind of environment, it creates that, that drive to, to get out of it and, and, and to prove things to people and, and not let things over, you know, don't be overcome by the, your circumstances if that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I can, I, I think that's why I like him so much because I can relate to him. You know, I certainly don't make $11 million a year or $10 million a year like he does, but I can certainly relate to his attitude and his stubbornness and his willingness to attempt to prove people wrong and show them that he will overcome these circumstances. And I think that's the position he's in right now. And it's starting to, the wheels starting to turn again for for Clemson football, just based on just on this this recruiting class alone. The class, I guess it's twenty five now that they're recruiting, yep. getting commitments from. It's hard to believe two thousand twenty five. My goodness. 
Upstate Foodies. Want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the Upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails. Super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willie Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willie Way. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. All right, you justifiably bragged on yourself for forecasting the what happened in Durham. I got to ask yes, now. thank you. I got to take credit. You do, of course, 100%, because uh, I didn't see it. Not pleased at all, yeah. but I saw it coming a mile away. What do you see coming in Atlanta, I have to ask, on August 31st? Oh, man, you know, I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> I've got a great answer for you, because it reminds me, and I know people, oh, do we have to hear about this again? <laughs> yes, folks, you do. 1980. We finished six and five, right? We we and we were lucky to finish six and five. We lost to Duke at home. We barely beat Virginia on a on a Donald. I mean, an Obetariri fifty-two yard field goal with like six seconds left to beat Virginia. Um, we struggled to beat Western Carolina. We lost to Georgia down in Athens, twenty to sixteen. The only saving grace was we ended up beating uh, South Carolina in Clemson with the famed Willie Underwood game where we wore the orange pants for the first time ever. And so the next year, um, we opened up with Wofford because Villanova had dropped their football program. And then we went down to Tulane and um, played them. But the bottom line was, we had to play Georgia, who was defending national champions in Clemson. And no one, I mean, no one gave us a shot. Not even, they had Buck Baloo and they had Lindsey Scott and they had uh, number 34 in the backfield. They had, you know, their defense was phenomenal. Tommy Thurston and those guys and no one around campus, none of the professors, nobody on TV, radio, print newspapers back in the day gave us a shot. And we ended up beating Georgia. So I haven't really researched it that much on who Georgia has coming back. I know they're loaded. They have um, their quarterback on the back. But um, 
I will reserve my prediction on that for a later date, but um, I'm actually more positive going into that game, believe it or not, than I was Clemson going up to Duke because okay. Clemson is always better as the underdog. Yeah. Clemson's always better as the underdog. And Davo Sweeney is always better as the underdog. And so don't you think they're going to be playing? He's going to be playing that tune from, I'm sure he's playing it right now. And those guys have it circled. And um, the great thing is they can go. And even if they do some, you know, somehow lose to Georgia, it's not going to, it's not the end of the year. It's not the end of the season. You know, you've got 11 more ball games to play. And with this 12 team playoff, you're not automatically eliminated. If you lose one more, you lose two games, you're done. Now with a 12 team playoff, if you win the ACC and win the championship game, you got a legit shot of making it, you know, into the playoffs. And then once the playoffs starts, I mean, how about those games yesterday? Who would have thought the Ravens just imploded? Yeah. They didn't do anything. Yeah. Right. And everybody said, Oh, the Ravens are going to the Super Bowl. Right. Go back a month ago. Oh, Nobody's yeah. going to beat the Ravens. Right. They're going to lock. The Ravens are locked for the Super Bowl. They froze. Yep. They froze on their home field. Totally. You know? Totally. I mean, what were they thinking? I mean, it, it, Lamar Jackson, Lamar, they went 11 personnel like 62% of the time throwing the football. They had the best running game in the. Keep running the football. What are you doing? Billy, they're. You know, and then the, unbelievable. They're running then, backs. You know, their running backs had six carries. <laughs> I know, it's cr- but that's playoff football, right? And that's that's why I'm excited about the uh, you know Division One actually going and having playoff. Well, you know the you hear the guys going, well, you know it'll be a waste of time and the no. And some teams play are better, especially in college. These kids are gelling at the end of the year. You know, 19 year old kids become 20 year old kids, and 21 year old kids become 22 year old kids, and they gel and they mature. And they're playing their best football at the end of the year. I mean, Clemson was playing some pretty good football at the end of the year after they beat Notre Dame. They actually kind of turned the corner. You never know. But then, you know, then you got the 49ers, right? The Lions with that offense they had. They're up 17 at the half and they lose. How do you do that? That's playoff football. So anyway. Speaking of old I'm sto- excited to see that. Speaking of old stories from the old days, uh, you mentioned on the message board a couple, a few weeks ago at the 83 game in Columbia. I guess y- y'all were wearing face masks back then, right? Um, no, they were plastic. <laughs> they were the, they were the plastic. Ones. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't gone to the full face mask. It's the plastic. Ones. Some guys did, not all of it. Uh, I didn't wear a face mask. Some guys did. Yeah. <laughs> but you said, I, I don't know if I've, you, you might have shared this story before, but you said, our entire team after the win over South Carolina and Columbia in 83, a butt chewing due to the bench clearing brawl at the end of the game. That was the oh, whole, yeah. that was the whole enchilada was for the 1983 version of the Tigers, but I digress. Yep. All right. What's that story? So, yeah, we, I mean, you know, we were on that, that whole story, the 83 season. Like I said, it's it, Clemson football. 1983 is, this, is the, the mystery team that no one talks about. It's almost like this crazy uncle, that you have to deal with that we lock away in the closet at Clemson and no one ever wants to talk about the 83 team who we went nine, one and one undefeated in the ACC beat them. The ACC champion, Maryland Terrapins in Clemson, 52 to 27, totally dominated them. 
went down to South Carolina the next week, beat South Carolina. And the end of the game, we were running out the clock. And Jeff Litton, who was one of our centers, he was in a he was jaw jacking with a like Ricky Haygood, I think. I can't mm-hmm. remember the I guy's so. name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nose guard. Well, Haygood just reaches over and rips Litton's helmet off his head and starts swinging it at him. And then both benches bench clearing brawl. I mean, it was it was wasn't as bad as the 2004 brawl in Clemson, but it was pretty bad. I mean, both benches empty, running the field, pushing and shoving, kicking, fight, biting. Now I was at the time I was dating a girl that was a cheerleader at South Carolina, so I was I was not a fighter, I was a lover. So I was running across the field to say hey to her, and I'll never forget because Coach Ford like grabbed me, go, "What are you doing?" And I'm, I pointed, and he goes, "Go ahead." So I went over here. I went right around the melee to see her, and then anyway, you know the troopers were out there, pulled everybody apart. We went back to our locker room, and um, you know Coach Ford, I mean, just chewed on us. I never want to see that beep 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 again. <laughs> you know going on and on about how embarrassed you know blah 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 and we got undressed put our civvies back on got on the bus went back well i I stayed in columbia but the team went back um to clemson and that was it there was that was the end of our season there was no there was no awards banquet there was no there was no nothing it was just um yeah, we, it, that that's that was m- my last football game in a Clemson Tiger mm. uniform was in Columbia, and that that's how it ended. And it was just like, and, and you know, even Coach Ford has said I've seen it in interviews that he says he doesn't really remember much about the '83 season. Mm. And um, I think that's you know, everybody tries to just put it out of their mind because we we're we were on total probation, no TV, no bowl game no conference championship. And so it goes back to what I talk about too, is, you know, we just, we really, we did, we played for each other, our coaches, our parents and Clemson. And I know that sounds so sappy and so corny, but that's all we had to play for. That was it. And cause we weren't on TV. We weren't going to win a championship and we got, we, and coach Ford wrote us like, rented mules man if you know i remember we we went up to duke and squeaked by duke up there and i blew a coverage and um guy got in behind me for a touchdown and it wasn't i was trying to i was trying to jump a crossing route because ben bennett was the quarterback back at duke and i was playing safety and I, I jumped a crossing route by the tight end and he threw in behind me for a touchdown well i got you know and back then coach Ford would have a list up in in Shaletter on the door and if you were on that list, you were you were screwed. You'd walk down and see your Billy Davis, see Coach Ford at one o'clock, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> then you'd have to go over to Jeremy and you know walk into his office and see Gene Roach, who was his secretary, and see here to see Coach Ford, take a seat. It was like going to the oral surgeon, you know, like oh no. And then go in and, and, and you know he would chew on you, and we and he did that every week for th- that year. It was the only year I remember him doing that. And it was just because he was trying to gain control of something that there, you know, and, and a bunch of guys that we were only, we were playing every game just for Clemson and for our teammates. There was no, there was zero gold at the end of the rainbow. 
other than personal pride and playing for your school. And now I, you know, and now I see what it's evolved into about pay for play. And if you're not paying me as much, I'm going to go somewhere else. And they think, I think this kid's really, the kids that are jumping from school to school, Larry, I think really in, in the end, when they get to be my age, they're going to look back and they're probably going to be out of that money that they made more than likely. And they're not going to have any connection to their university. They're, they're just basically mercenaries now. And I, I think that's what Dabo sees too. I think, I think he wants the holistic approach and he wants the kids to be part of the family and to be part of a program. And, and I think, I think these guys are really going to miss out on a lot if they go from, you know, from Alabama to Georgia and Georgia to Florida and then Florida to wherever and they're playing for three or four schools and all they're doing is, is chasing money and they're not going to have any affiliation and they're not going to be welcome back on campus one day. I mean, I go back to Clemson now, I'm still welcome back there. And there's, there's people that still, and I know it was a long time ago, there's still a lot of people that are my dear friends that are there on campus. You know, people like Bob Mahoney and Don Munson and Bobby Robinson and the list, you know, Byron Harder and, you know, Lance McKinney and people that are around Clemson, been around for Clemson for years and years and they're still there and you still have that connection. And I think, I think that's the sad part of where, college football and basketball is going now but you know that sometimes that just doesn't mean as much to people as it does me i'm kind of a sentimental fool when it comes to stuff like that I mean, i love clemson and what it stands for and i'm proud to be a part of it but you know some of these kids they're just chasing the bucks man and um who's to say i would have liked to have had you know as the number one recruit in the state of virginia my senior year i imagine i would have might have had a pretty good payday um out of nil and um, things of that nature when I got to Clemson, but and who's to say I wouldn't have taken the money, but I don't, you know, you, can, you can't say because it's just a different world now. It's just different and not that it's better or worse, but I think it's worse, but, and so does Dabo, but like you, we go back to our original premise, like the NCAA has got to grow a set and come up with some kind of set of rules to get this thing going and, and like we talked about, the contract thing is probably the way it's got to go. So if I were to go back and pull up the 83 Clemson, South Carolina game and <clears throat> go to the part where the brawl is, will I, would I actually see you running around the brawl? Um, I don't know if you would or not. You might look for 24 in the, in, right. a, in the white Jersey. And I'm heading to the, uh, the, the South Carolina end zone. Not, I'm trying to think of the one, you know, where the Clemson sideline would be, mm-hmm. um, down on if you're looking from the camera angle like they always show it would be the end zone to the right yeah because that's where the carolina cheerleaders would be yeah believe it or not that was that was scandalous back in the day dude (laughs) scandalous as a matter of fact they had articles that week in both the greenville news and the state about us the Uh. relationship oh yeah it was a big deal i mean can you imagine I mean, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a superstar, but I was, you know, like I said, I was a very solid football player at Clemson, you know, and I was starting and it was like, you know, the starting free safety and the, and the Carolina cheerleader. Can you imagine if it was like, you know, pick your favorite safety at Clemson is dating a Carolina cheerleader, you know, and they're playing down in Columbia. Yeah. You know, it's a human interest story. Yep. 
I mean, I don't even know if it's sell anymore, but back then it was like a kind of a big deal. So, but then she dumped me anyway. I got, <laughs> and I got cut by the Broncos. She gave, see, I got cut twice in like two days. I got cut by the Broncos and I got put on waivers by her the same time <laughs> so hey I've got to as promised I have to get you to recount the Mari high school story oh yeah yeah from 2012 sure. yeah yeah so anyway um, is his name R- Ari White White Wat- Watford 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 yep. Ari Watford yeah okay young man who's committed congratulations uh, great kid from Mari High School in Norfolk Virginia, as we would say back home. And, um, so I went to the vice presidential protective division of the U S secret service. I left our counter assault team program where I was the program manager and I was appointed to the deputy special agent in charge position there, uh, with vice president Biden. And so you have a special agent in charge and you have a deputy. And so in about a year I became the special agent in charge. And that guy went on to, I guess he went to work for NBC Universal, their director of security there in New York. Anyway, so our, my first trip after a series of briefings and orientations with VP Detail was down to Norfolk, um, where the vice president was had a speaking engagement at a high school. So the day before the trip, as the deputy, I went down as an orientation. I jumped on a C-17 car plane at Andrews, which is now Joint Base Andrews. Jumped on the C-17 flew down to the Naval Air Station with the vehicles and we we drove uh, and, uh, we were driving to the high school to check out the advanced preparations at the high school. And so uh, the lead advance agent, I can't remember his name, his name is Larry Williams, Agent Williams. I said, hey, Agent Williams, uh, what high school are we going to again here in Norfolk? And he was like, we're going to Maury High School, sir. And I'm like, Maury? <laughs> man, you're not going to believe this. I said, but my junior year at Mount Vernon, we played Mari in the state championship in University Hall in Charlottesville, and we beat him for the state championship. And they're like, uh, that's cool, sir. And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm serious. I go, what are the chances of that happen? I said, I've never even been here before. I said, it'll be cool. So we, we pull up to the high school, and I get out, and the site advance agent meets us there with his police counterparts and, and the, the field office counterparts from Norfolk, and we walk into the gymnasium, and I go in, and we walk in the gym, and sure enough, there's this banner. It's a 1979 Eastern Region Basketball <laughs> Champions, and I look at Agent Williams, and I go, hey, you know the state championship banner is, don't you? It's in Mount Vernon High School in Alexandria. I said, yes, sir. And, you know, I was like Al Bundy. They're like, hey, this is great, so, you know, we need to get moving. So, anyway, so we do our walkthroughs and we do everything we're supposed to do. Go back to the hotel, get some dinner, get up the next day, go back to the airport. The VP flies in. We motorcade tomorrow, get out. VP does his gripping grins photo, gets up, does a speech, begins to work the rope line left to right. There's bike rack in front of the stage. And I'm standing in the back observing because I'm not actually operationally working that detail today because a special agent in charge is with VP. So I'm, I'm probably off the stage, maybe 20 feet. And I see this group of, of teenager students and there's four or five kids and they're often kind of off in the distance. They're about 10 feet off the bike rack and they're 
just following the VP around. And they're showing unusual interest, but they're, you know, there's not a threat. I'm just like, well, why do these kids keep following the VP around when they shake his hand? So he goes left to right, and he starts working the rope line back right to left, shaking hands, taking pictures. And the kids walk up to one of the agents who was posted to the left of the stage, and I could see him talking to him, and then he turns around and points at me, and I could see him saying, you got to ask him. So they come around the bike rack to me, and I walk up, and I go, yeah, can I help you? And they're like, yeah. And this one kid goes, yeah, you got a Secret Service basketball team? And I'm like, in the world is this kid asking me if I have a Secret Service basketball team? And he said, I said, yeah, we, no, we don't anymore. I said, we used to. About 16 years ago when I was on President Clinton's detail, we had a Secret Service basketball team, and we would play in charity events around D.C. And I said, we're actually pretty good because we had a lot of guys that played either college basketball or basketball in high school. And I was, you know, I was recruited on side note. I was, you know, I was not recruited, but shown interest by by William and Mary and George Mason and Madison and and Towson State in those schools because I you know, was that good of a basketball player. But they knew I was playing either football and baseball in college, so they were wasting their time. So I was I was a really good basketball player. But anyway, so I go now. I said, but we don't have a team anymore. So the kid goes, he literally listen. He goes, was well, if you did, he goes. You come down here and we run y'all's asses off the court. <laughs> I mean, literally said that to me, and I'm like, so now the VP staff, they're standing there and they're listening to this conversation. They're looking at me, and I'm like, I walked over and I said, son, I put my arm around him. I said, do you see that banner up there? It says 1979 Eastern Region Champions. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I said, do you know why it doesn't say 1979 Virginia AAA State Champions? He goes, no. And I said, because my basketball team, when I was a junior at Mount Vernon, ran your all's ass off the court in Charlottesville. So, you can't make it up. And, and, and the, his posse around them, they were like, oh, oh, man, oh. And the VP staff, they were howling, laughing. I'm, I turned around and go, can you believe this? I said, I said, no, son. I said, I actually played basketball at Mount Vernon. And he, he was like I had punched him in the face. He just walked off. And I, I went outside, took my cell phone, and called my high school basketball coach. <laughs> it, 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 he was uh, Don McCool, who just passed away last year. I went to his funeral last year. Um, coach McCool was living down in a, Oconee, Lake Oconee, down in Georgia. He had moved down there, and he was on the golf course. And I called him. I said, Coach, you are not going to believe the conversation I just had. He, was, he goes, Bill, what are you doing? I go, you're not going to believe this conversation. And I told him, he thought it was the greatest thing ever. I said, I'm in Maury at Maury High School. He goes, yeah, that's who we beat. You know, because we beat, we played Petersburg in the semifinals. And their starting lineup was like 6'7", 6'6", 6'5", 6'4", and 6'2". And we ran a four corners slowdown game and beat them 48-44. Um, and then the next night we played Maury for the state championship. And that was in the old university hall in Charlottesville. Now they play at John Paul Jones arena, but we played them in university hall and we beat them for the state championship. But you no know, funny. I mean, the, the, the athletics, even at that, but the chances of that are astronomical that I would be with the vice president of the United States, <laughs> go to a high school. And of all the people that were working with him, he picked me out to tell me that they were going to kill us in basketball. And yeah, fun story. I got a million of those stories. Like people say I got to write a book. I said, yeah, eventually I do. But I get, I get my friend Larry Williams to um, uh, help me write it. There we go. To be like, 
Yes. Authored by Larry Williams, as told, as told to by Larry to Larry Williams. There you go. My, our, my name doesn't even have to be on it. No. Nah. <laughs> anyway, I'd have trouble getting all of my. You'd have to help point me in the right direction and get my thoughts together. But it's all, all those kind of anecdotes and stories that are just uh, just amazing. So anyway, yeah, that's that story. I, so. what, what I can't wrap my mind around beyond the sheer coincidence of it is. Of all the people to talk smack to, you do it to secret secret service agents. Like, I, know. I mean, media were there. Like, you could have done that. To, I could see you doing it to media, but you're doing it to guys who could probably whip your ass. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, back back then, I was, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I was six yeah. four two forty, and I'm bench pressing <laughs> the world, and I know how to kill. I mean, I've been taught by yeah. the best people in the world how to eliminate you. <laughs> I mean, you know. And I, and I just with my bare hands. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm like, but people don't, I mean, but uh, I can understand a kid, you know, he's like 16. He's got a Maury basketball t-shirt on and you know, 16 year old boys are, they think they're invincible and, and, you know, and some people just aren't that bright. And they're walking to a dude, like, what are you talking? And I, you know, I was like, no, nah. I just put my arm around him. Like I was his dad, which I usually could have been. And I said, do you see that? Do you see that banner up there? I mean, just like that. And it wasn't, I wasn't being flippant or anything, but I was just trying to put him in his place, <laughs> it, which is hard to do with a lot of, you know, 16 year old kids. But uh, yeah, you'd be, but like I said, it, when I wrote that thing, you'd be amazed at what people come up and ask you when you're standing there as a Secret Service agent. Have you yeah, I can anybody? imagine. Have you ever killed anybody? How you know? Of course, Secret Service is not the FBI or the CIA, but they walk up and go, "How long have you been in the FBI?" You're like, Secret Service. Mm. They're like, I, "Have you been with the CIA a long time?" You're like, "No, we're the U.S. Secret Service. <laughs> we're totally different." You know, it's just like, <laughs> um, but you know, you're also a public servant, and so you just don't. You try to, and plus, too, you engage the public because you engage them, you can figure out who's actually a threat, who's up to something, who's not up to something, who's asking probing questions as opposed to just stupid questions. You know, people come, how many guys do you have? How many, you know, what's this and what's that? You know, now we don't give those answers out, obviously. And then when you travel overseas, you really have to be on your guard because, you know, foreign agents, foreign agencies are always probing and they're looking to see, you know, what our operational procedures are and all that. So you have to be really careful on who you talk to and any information that you give out when you're overseas. So it's like people anyway, that's the, uh, talking, yeah. about, talking about questions you get. It's like people asking me, uh, Hey, where do you tailgate before games? I'm like, unfortunately, I don't get job. to tailgate. It's almost like, it's almost like you're insulting, right? It's like, don't, <laughs> this is my job, people. I'm serious. Yeah. Like, it, Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sports writer and uh, this is my job is how I pay my family. But yeah, usually I like to go to lot six and have four or five beers before the game and have some chicken wings. And then I mosey <laughs> on the press box, you know, when I feel like it, like, <laughs> But you know, it's it's amazing some of the questions that people ask you. Like, no, no, we don't we don't do that. Yeah, yeah, just kind of move on with it. So, yeah. Well, Billy, you got some things to do that are more important than this interview up in Lexington, Kentucky. So, uh, man, have a great time and uh, just very happy for 
for you and Sophie and your family. Just uh, what an amazing career she's had, and I'm sure you're just uh, incredibly proud. Yeah, thanks, Larry. The, the, the sticking point, um, like we talked about, was the she texted us when they announced the Gator Bowl matchup. She's like, oh, my God, I never thought this would happen when I committed to Kentucky. <laughs> that you know, And so that was a little, when she came home for Christmas, we didn't discuss the game at all. She she said, Ray Davis is not playing in the game. I said, no, I think you're wrong. I think Ray Davis is playing. And that's the only conversation we had about the game. I'm literally, I'm standing here right now, and I'm looking out my hotel window, and I, I see the sign that says Kroger Field. And we're that close to the, the football stadium. Mm-hmm. See the lights for the stadium, University of Kentucky Medical Center. But I'm looking, I'm looking right at Kroger Field right now. It's pretty cool. That is cool. So, yeah. Anyway, all right, well, hey, thanks for having me on again. Hello to all my friends out there at Tiger Illustrated, and I hope you all enjoyed this. And thanks for having me again. And tell uh, Chris and Paul I said hey. Okay. Always enjoy catching up with Billy Davis. He's a regular on the message board at TigerIllustrated.com, too, and a very valuable contributor, has been for a long time. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen through the years. And, of course, thanks to every single one of you for giving it a listen. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.